Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Empower App Show. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Please do subscribe if you are listening to this episode, and I'd love to hear some feedback. If you have any, send me a tweet or an email, leogdion or leogdion at brightdigit.com. Also, I'd love for any reviews you might have uh, of the show, if you could uh, post them to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. Today we have with us Kim Arnett. Hey, Kim. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Kim, you're with Expedia, correct? Yes, I've been with Expedia just over two years now. I'm an iOS developer. been an iOS developer for, I don't know, a long time now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying it a lot. So I really enjoy what I do, where I do it. It's all great. Really glad to have you on the show today. We have a really awesome topic that I think a lot of people overlook, especially managers, when it comes to developing both on the web, but especially when it comes to the iPhone and iPad, and that's accessibility. Could you kind of describe what exactly accessibility means? Sure. Accessibility is something that I became more aware of and more passionate about over the last few years. Essentially, it is allowing your application, either web or mobile, to be used by everyone despite of any kind of disability. And what I mean by any kind of disability is, you know, a temporary disability like a broken arm or more permanent one that might be, you know, loss of a a limb or blindness, you know, visuals, another disability, hearing disability, people who are deaf. There's also temporary ones, which I think is more relevant to the greater population You know, we all found ourselves as distracted drivers or a new parent, you know, holding a baby in one hand and trying to use technology in the other. So really creating technology that allows everybody to use it is really what accessibility means. I like how you phrase that when it comes to like disabilities, because a lot of times we think of like very permanent disabilities, but I think just commonplace stuff like not being able to touch your iPhone because your arm is broke or you're busy. Or the other thing I'm thinking of is like eyesight issues, which happens to us as we get older. I think a lot of people don't think about that when it comes to the usability of their apps. Yeah, for sure. I'm actually experiencing some of that myself. Not only contacts that I wear every day, but I was recently advised to also wear reading glasses when I'm on the computer over my contacts. So some of my coworkers have started making fun of me because I have like huge font on this monitor I just got. (laughs) But it makes it so I don't have to wear my glasses. So, you know, to each their own. But having font that can scale that big is one of the things that accessibility utilizes. So if you're using, like for iOS has UI accessibility So using those types of elements, you know, making sure that labels can expand to accommodate the bigger text for people like myself who can't read anything at the ripe age of under 30. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But also, you know, one of the other biggest uh, impairments for visual is colorblindness. And I think that's another thing that people don't really take into consideration when they're trying to come up with design and fun animations 
The colorblindness is actually one of the most common disabilities amongst the population. And I don't think it's something that people really take into consideration when they're uh, designing their, you know, app designs or website designs, animations, things like that. Uh, So I have some stats I could dive into, too, to kind of help. I was just about looking that up. (laughs) I've heard it's something like one in 12 men have colorblindness, and obviously it's much more common amongst men because of the Y chromosome and such. When you say colorblindness, what exactly does that mean? Oh, goodness. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) Well, there's different colorblindness. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but I think one of them is like blue-green, where the colors aren't clear, or I think one of them is like red. I don't know. I don't personally have colorblindness, so it's hard for me to talk to it. But making sure that text is readable, making sure that if you have any design elements that are important to the flow of your app, that they are easily visible despite, you know, these colorblindness conditions. So, you know, you might have a blue arrow button on, I don't know, a green background. Is that how that works? I'm not sure. Right. I could definitely be more educated on this. <laughs> you can't distinguish between the two different colors, essentially. Right. That's one of the big problems. And there's like a bunch of those tests online where they have a number on top of a different background. And if you're colorblind, you, you can't see the difference between the two colors. So it's hard to distinguish. Hey, I wanted to let you know that Empower App Show is looking for sponsors and patrons. Our audience is growing, and we'd love to showcase you, your company, and your product on our show. If you want to be a patron, you can find us at patreon.com slash empowerapps.show. Or if you want to be a sponsor, reach out to me personally at leo at brightdigit.com. Your support is greatly appreciated, and we look forward to showcasing your business and product on our show. So with something like colorblindness, are there settings on the iPhone that developers and managers can use to test their app based on certain accessibility settings? Yeah, there is. If you're using an iPhone, which I assume you are, (laughs) in the settings under accessibility, there's a own separate accessibility element. You can check out things like using voiceover, uh, changing your display and text size. One of my favorite things to do is the invert colors. So it will actually invert all of your colors and you can kind of get a feel for what stands out. But also increasing contrast. I think one of the bigger things is using larger text. I think that is probably most common among the population. That is a total speculation. But based off my experience, which is kind of biased already. (laughs) If you increase the text size, for instance, like, can you still navigate the app? Can you still read what you're supposed to do with a form that you're supposed to fill out? You know, things like that. Another app that I have used to check against like screenshots to make sure there are different levels of accessibility. So there's double A, triple A is like super accessible, which is really hard to achieve. But I think double A is a good goal to have if you're just getting started. 
or even A, anything <laughs> that is better than what you're doing yesterday. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One I wanted to talk about that you've mentioned is like text resizing. I've seen that as like a big issue is apps that don't support really the ability to do like dynamic text. How do you set up your app in such a way where like people can easily change the text size within the accessibility settings? Sure. So one of the biggest things is having a design that can expand easily. And we almost run into this with other languages too. Like a lot of the strings in German are much longer (laughs) than in English. So making sure that we can expand labels, bring the text down to a second line if we need to, things like that, making sure the view will scroll if it expands too much. I mean, really things like that. It, It takes it to a design level. At that point, you're not just building for accessibility. You're also building for people with different languages on their phones and locales. So you're just creating a more universal product. Yeah, I hadn't thought about different languages because that's like, especially when it comes to localization, the fact that certain strings are certain sizes matters. Yeah, for sure. I never even considered it before coming to the Expedia team. You know, having a global product, many brands that are are used globally, I I never had to worry about it. But it's it's been really eye-opening, not only from an accessibility standpoint, but also making sure that you're considering these other locales. If people are trying to sign in and the string is going off the page, you know, they don't necessarily know what they're supposed to do all the time. I mean, ideally they would because you would have an intuitive design, but that's a separate topic. So you just want to make sure everything is really clear. The point is clear. You're being inclusive to not only different locales, but people with accessibility, you know, screen readers on and different tools like that. What are some other reasons that a manager should make accessibility part of the development process? Sure. Well, the biggest one, if you don't create an accessible product, you could get sued for a lot of money, (laughs) especially the Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, is striving to make anything with a public interface accessible. So that's the biggest one. That's usually financial reasons is always a good motivator, but also, (laughs) (laughs) also if you're not making your product accessible, you are essentially giving the middle finger to people with a disability, people who rely on the accessibility screen readers, color changes, the tools that accessibility provides to use your product. Why would you want to, on purpose, exclude from your audience when implementing accessibility is so, I don't want to say easy because that's a waterfall term, (laughs) but it's not that much extra work to include it in your workflow. These tools, especially on Apple, I can't really speak to web, but I know there's a lot out there on web too. But these tools are just so easy to pull into your work stream. A typical task that we might have on the Expedia app, making it accessible, we usually get that for free, for example. Times we haven't gotten it for free is if we're creating a custom, totally custom control, and then we have to do a little bit more tweaking to make sure that we get the accessibility right. But something as simple as setting an accessibility label 
is usually all it takes to make sure that, you know, the context is right. And it's just really straightforward for somebody who can't see exactly the screen. Have you played around with Swift UI yet? No. Okay. It's on my to-do list. Okay. So you just said something about being able to get sued. So can any app get sued for not implementing accessibility because of the ADA? Or is it just like, I guess you have to be like a certain popularity and in public enough to where like it would be a concern, right? Yes and no. So the ADA is very gray, just like a lot of our laws right now around the online space. A lot of our laws are outdated. It's a great area, but until they get updated, and I know, I think I saw in Ontario, you know, like different countries, you're opening yourself up to lawsuits, countries that might have their laws further along. (laughs) Right. You know, (laughs) but here in the U.S., uh, I don't know if you've heard about the Domino's pizza lawsuit. Oh, I want to hear about this Domino's pizza lawsuit. Okay, so. I'm a big fan of pizza, so. Yes, yes. And especially with them being right here in Michigan, as you and I both are, you know. Right, yeah. (laughs) It's real close to home. But there was a blind man who sued Domino's Pizza after he was unable to order food on the website and mobile app despite using screen reading software. Long story short, it went to a court that I believe ruled in his favor. And then it really became mainstream when Domino's filed for a petition against the Supreme Court. Michigan or federal Supreme Court? Ooh, that's a good question. I guess it'd be federal because ADA is a federal thing. So, yeah. I think it was. Mm -hmm. So attorneys for Domino's, their argument was that the ADA does not apply to online platforms. And when the law was passed in 1990... It was not envisioned that it would be an online platform. It was primarily for brick and mortar stores. So they said that, you know, it wasn't clear how to make their platforms accessible because this law does not apply to the online space. Okay, okay. (laughs) Interesting. If you're as big as something like Domino's, and Domino's, like, to me, they always seemed like a pretty cutting-edge mobile shop in the area, I don't know what your experience is. So like I'm must have been a few years ago or or something, but I bet they're probably moving into gear to get accessibility like up and ready as far as like their mobile app is concerned. I would sure hope so. Um, yeah. <laughs> this was like late 2019, I think, or like mid 2019. So real recent. Right, right. But yeah, it was a huge win for disability advocates, a huge win for People with disabilities who can actually access some of these platforms. Technology is so unique. It has the potential to lift others off to an even playing field. But without us developers and managers and CTOs and people who care, we're cutting them out. You know, where would we be without communication technology that Stephen Hawking used, for example? It's just so important to make sure everybody has a voice. So it almost makes me laugh like that Domino's is fighting this or was fighting this so hard. I don't know where the case actively stands, but you know, with all the money that they've spent on lawyers and throwing their problem in front of the Supreme court, they could have easily just made their site accessible (laughs) and probably save money in the end. Right. Right. Yeah. That's just my (laughs) two cents, but (laughs) 
So one thing I wanted to ask about, do you know about the curb cut effect? No. Okay. So the idea is that when you make things accessible, it not only helps those who like have disabilities, but it actually helps everybody. And an example of that is like what's called a curb cut or uh, like basically a ramp when you are crossing the street mm-hmm. and how like that is specifically set up for folks who are handicapped. But however, if uh, you're a mom, you have a stroller, like it's helpful yeah. for you. It's helpful for people who might be uh, carrying stuff using a dolly, for instance. Yeah. And like there are a lot of other benefits to the greater population than just necessarily that specific folk who specifically need the ramp uh, in order to be able to to make certain things accessible. And I think that's like another really important point is like by making your app accessible, it doesn't just help people who might have colorblindness, but like folks can just be able to see and read your text a lot clearer. And like, I don't necessarily have like, well, I'm going to get there pretty soon where I'm going to need glasses for reading because I'm I'm close to getting that age. But like I'm on my iPad and I want to read a book and I want to read a book without my glasses. Like, yeah, I'm going to play around with the text on it and I'm going to blow it up because I want to be able to read uh, like much more casually without needing any sort of sight help. And like it also – makes sure that your text like doesn't like you're saying with the globalization stuff, that's another example of where like having your text be able to flow and fit within certain spaces and grow. Yeah. is super important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I never heard that before, but a hundred percent as a mom with a stroller with my hands full, I totally relate. I was trying to think how that might directly compare to the digital space, but I think the biggest thing I could think of was probably colors. And like you mentioned, like just making it so easy to read that, that, you know, you don't have to have your, your phone an inch from your face to try and see what that little text under the, you know, terms and conditions might be. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I think like one of my biggest, this is going to seem like an odd hang up, but like, One of the issues I run into, this is especially on the watch when I'm holding something in my hand, is like the ability to do stuff with voice Mm -hmm. when my hands aren't available. That becomes a real issue. I feel like voice is kind of the next wave of where they could like make things more accessible. I know we have stuff like Siri shortcuts and things like that. The ability not to have to touch my phone in certain circumstances, which seems like an odd request. Yeah. Is important because sometimes my hands are full and I can't, I can't actually access my phone. Yeah, for sure. Completely agree. One of the most eye-opening experiences that comes to my mind. I mean, I'm still learning, like, I am very new into championing for accessibility. I want to make that clear. But it's something, as I've become more familiar about or with and learn more about, I'm really passionate about it. So I I want to get better. I want to learn more. I want to hear from people who deal with this every single day. I want to hear what their pain points are. I want to make sure that I'm doing what I can in my job. And as a manager or a CTO, you know, think about the impact that you could have just listening to your audience. But I digress. Back to (laughs) one of the most eye-opening experiences I had was, uh, I want to say it was about six months after I started at Expedia. 
so rough timeline, it was like fall, but we have what we call a global day of accessibility where every office kind of does their own accessibility thing. It might be something like a challenge. It might be, you know, just learning how to use some of these screen readers or assistive technologies out there. But the one that we partook in when I first started was we were blindfolded and we went, iOS developers were using an iOS device. So we were already really familiar with the app, really familiar with the platform. Android developers were using the Android device. And we went iOS versus Android. Who can book a hotel from start to finish blindfolded? And we had specific requirements. Like I think it was for two travelers. It had to be, I think, Las Vegas or, you know, some like a a consistent city. I don't remember what the time was, but everybody struggled with it. Every single person. And we had our hands. We had everything. We had our brain and the image map that we have already made of this app working on it, you know. Right. And every single person struggled with it. So that was when I was like, if I can't book a hotel without my eyesight, using an app that I've been developing for for months, (laughs) what chance does somebody who is brand new to the app going to have. So what did you learn? Like, what did you learn as far as like how to fix that, especially in iOS? Sure. So the biggest thing is just making sure that you're using the UI accessibility elements, making sure you're setting not only a label, but a label that makes sense. One of the most recent examples I can think of is on our sign-in page, we have sign-in with Facebook, Google, or sign-in with email address and password. At one point, the or string was just reading or. So if you're uh, navigating the screen with a screen reader, it'll sound something like sign in with Facebook, sign in with Google, or. And if you stop there, like, okay, or what? (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) because you. Right, that's confusing. (laughs) If you're blindfolded, for example, or blind or not, you know, able to visually see the screen that there's more underneath. So. One thing that we have done is to change it to say, or sign in with email and password below. So then you keep going and it says, enter your email. Okay. Um, (laughs) Things like that. Okay, great. We set the accessibility label. It was reading exactly what the string read. But, you know, is the context right? Probably not. (laughs) I even still do this like two years later. I'll like look at the wall or something and try to navigate something that I just worked on to make sure that it flows well, to make sure that the context is right, to make sure that I can access elements. I can't remember for sure, but I I think I had a bug recently where like the back button wasn't actually selectable with the accessibility uh, reader. So, you know, just turning on the accessibility element flag on the element was all that needed to do to fix that. It was literally a Boolean flag. The tools are out there. The biggest things are making sure accessibility element is true and making sure that you have a label, accessibility label that makes sense. Those are the two biggest things. And it sounds like you're using a lot of like built-in controls. We had Guy Rambo on 
a few weeks ago, and he was talking about like how to make sure that your app is future proof. It seems like it's the same with the accessibility stuff. It's when you start using like some third party library or third party controls that implementing accessibility becomes much more of an uphill battle. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. We try to do a lot of our stuff in house and it, that's not exception to Expedia. A lot of the companies that I've worked for, you know, or the take has always been, is this library well adapted? Is this library have a good following? Is it updated frequently? Because once you start using frameworks and even though it's making your job easier, what's the end user experience like? What's going to happen if, you know, if it's a sole developer that's maintaining it, if they just get bored with it and move on? You have to think about these things. Does it make more sense for you to have control over that element than to use this framework? Do they care about accessibility? Do they care about making sure that your audience is inclusive and you're not cutting out something like 20% of the population? That was one statistic I read. It was like about 20% of the population reported a disability in the 2010 U.S. Census. 10% reported the disability as severe. That's a lot of people. Yes. A lot of people. (laughs) And I think like just the idea is like technology makes us be able to do things easier and more accessible. And if it's limiting to that part of the population, like are you really being helpful? Are you really helping more people or is it just becoming more of a gate uh, to keep certain people out? And I think it's always important to keep that in mind. Yeah, for sure. I'm always a huge fan of having a diverse team your team should loosely represent the population. If 20% of the population have a disability, how many people in your team have a disability? You know, not that you can go around asking, but just keep that in mind. Like different experiences, different backgrounds, it all adds up. And when you have a diverse team, people are going to come together with their experiences, their backgrounds and collective knowledge and make the best product out there. So if somebody's interested in accessibility, what are some great resources out there that'll help people get started? Sure. So one that was recommended to me when I was first starting to look into it and try and learn more was DeQ. They are a company that is primarily focused as accessibility. So they have so many great tutorials. I think they are primarily in web, but I did find quite a few mobile resources They just break down, like, what's the basics you need to start building accessibility into your app? That website is deque.com. I found a lot of great resources there. I found a lot of great resources in my developer community as well. Specifically, it actually started with Chris DeMars, who is a speaker here in the Midwest. He's spoken a lot of places. He talks about accessibility. He really got me start thinking about it and start thinking about what am I doing wrong? What do I need to improve? And then basically that experience that I had at Expedia being blindfolded and trying to use the app, like sealed the deal. I was like, I need to make sure that whatever I touch (laughs) is accessible. Write bugs or write bug reports for stuff that I find that isn't and like, let's fix it as a team, right? Another person that did a similar experience at CodeMash a few years ago, I was in his session, Nathan Lotting. He is out of Grand Rapids here. 
another developer that I follow on Twitter is Lindsay Kopax. <laughs> I'm totally going to butcher it. Um, K-O-P-A-C-Z. But her website is allywithlindsay.com. That's A-11-Y with lindsay.com. She, I believe, just started like an online course around web development and accessibility, but she's been a really great resource as well. And then one of my favorite things has been just like following people in tech with disabilities who are talking about accessibility, who are talking about their disability on uh, Twitter. I mean, Twitter has been such an amazing resource. I always try to follow people that don't look like me, don't have the same experience as me, just so I can get more familiar with their pain points, their experiences, and I can bring that into whatever I'm working on as a product or as a developer. I think that's just a really valuable resource that's out there. It's free and literally anybody can start doing that today. (laughs) Yeah. And like you said, there's a lot of built-in tools already in Xcode and Swift to set up accessibility in your app. It doesn't take a lot of time. It's fairly simple and it'll help not just those with disabilities, but everybody be able to use your app a lot easier. Yeah, it's a total win-win. One more thing I just want to call out with the dark mode starting in iOS 13. That's another opportunity to make sure that your colors when they're switched are accessible, text is readable, you know, things like that. Making sure you're using appropriate labels where they're needed. And not when they're not. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you online? Yeah, I'm most active on Twitter. My handle is Kdacode. My DMs are open, but if you do decide to uh, direct message me, please have some context in the message. I don't respond to just hello messages. It's it would be a full time job if I did. So (laughs) um, (laughs) it's rough out there, but. Um, happy to talk about it. Happy to answer questions. Just please leave me some context in the message. Otherwise, like my website is kimarnett.com. I tried to blog on there. I have a lot of different blogs, a lot of soft skills, some resumes, some interviewing stuff. So there's good stuff there. And on Dev2 also, my handle is kdacode on, on Dev.2. So I'm, I'm all over the internet. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Again, this is something I'm passionate about. I am so happy that we got to talk about it and talk about how easy it is to actually implement accessibility, how easy it is to just make your audience inclusive. So thank you for allowing a platform for that. And if people want to find me, I'm on Twitter at Leo G. Dion, and my company is Bright Digit. I'd love to hear back from you. What are your thoughts on accessibility? What are some tips that you might have? Please let me know. Reply to me on Twitter. And you can find more episodes if you subscribe to Empower App Show. Thanks again for coming on.